Good morning, everybody. Uh, like Ken said, uh, I'm Doug Stover. I'm one of your elders here. And I want to thank Ken, uh, first off, because he's my safety blanket. I feel really good coming and following Ken up here. He's my brother. I love him. And uh, thank you so much for doing that. I also thank a few other people uh, for this week. Um, Pastor Chad in Mississippi has helped me greatly this, uh, preparing this message with my sounding board a lot. I want to thank my editor, Lillian, <laughs> because I'm an engineer. I have lots of uh, typos and spelling errors and stuff like that in my, uh, in my writing. So she takes care of all that for me. And I want to thank also Dave, Pastor Dave. Even though he was uh, going through what he went through, he was there to support me through this. And I feel very, very blessed to have him in our lives. Uh, so this is my second time up here about a year ago. I preached on 4th of July. I like to pick, I wanted the 4th of July this week, this year also, but Skylar uh, beat me to it uh, because I like things, less people, less pressure. <laughs> so <clears throat> I didn't, I, it was the first time I've ever preached before. So I was, well, I'm nervous now, but I was really nervous then. Um, so I was kind of did on a down low. I didn't tell my son or my parent, my mom or my brother or anything like that. So after it was all done, I sent the podcast of, the, of my sermon to my, my mother and my brother in a text message. I said, you might want to listen to this. That's all I said. So um, about a day later, I get a phone call from my brother in Atlanta. He goes, Douglas, I was listening to this, your podcast. So I'm listening, I'm listening. I said, man, that guy sounds like my brother. <laughs> And he said, that, that guy is my brother. So he didn't, he didn't know it was me to begin with. And that was kind of cool. So I told him I was going to tell you this story this morning. So that's, uh, that's really one of the highlights you know, about being up here and seeing all your spaces and seeing the, the body together and hearing the creeds being preached and uh, said. It was uh, it's a blessing to me to prepare this and do it. And as my friend Colin said beforehand, that this week I am a pastor, Correct. So there, there, we are pastors, the elders are pastors, and so we're doing our bit to help out during times of need. And so let's, uh, let's study the word together today. So to kind of give you an introduction, we're going we're gonna to hear from the book of 1 Samuel. And the main passage uh, we're going to read about introduces us to David, who will become Israel's greatest king. <clears throat> we will also be looking at the people of Israel and their kings through, throughout history. My goal was to frame this in the style of God's four-part story. Creation, God's perfect design, rebellion, God's people rejecting God, redemption, God's mercy and grace for his people, and restoration, God making all things perfect again. So the main passage will be starting in the middle of verse 35 of chapter 15. Uh, here's the setting. Paul is currently the king of Israel, and he has not done what is right in God's eyes. And, the, and God is rejecting Saul as king. Here's God's word. Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. 
I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have <clears throat> provided for him a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him and trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord is anointed, Lord, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on his height of stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. The man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. <clears throat> then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. When Samuel said this to Jesse, all of your sons here, are, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for I will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, I need a little break of water here. I've been very thirsty. Okay, so let's dig into this. From the beginning of the time, we're talking about kings of Israel. From the beginning of the time, God reigned as the perfect king of his people, Israel. Following Moses leading the people out of Egypt, multiple men and one woman were called judges, and they were the leaders of Israel. In the time of the judges, Samuel was called to be a prophet. And he, came, and he called down judgment on the people who were in rebellion, and they were fearful of the Philistines. Samuel offered a burnt, offer, burnt sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of the people, and they defeated the Philistines. From then on, Samuel would lead the people all the days of his life. But when he was old, he appointed his two sons as judges, and things went downhill from there. The two sons were corrupt, and they, and they perverted justice. The people called on Samuel to appoint a king so that Israel could be like all other nations. First Samuel 8 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in, in all the way, in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. 
The people rejected God as their king. So Samuel sends all the men of the country to their hometowns. And God tells Samuel what to do. And he will send a man to him. Yada, yada, yada. It goes on. <laughs> but Saul comes to Samuel at Samuel's house. And Saul anoints him as king. Saul is a king the people want and they deserve. He is tall, strong, handsome. He's a king that they can be proud of. A king that their enemies will fear. Saul starts off great. He defeats the Ammonites. He renews the kingdom. He fights and defeats the Philistines. All those issues with that. So can Saul's success continue? Let's find out. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, God speaks to Saul through Samuel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noticed that Amalek did what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way uh, they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote the, to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men, women, children, infants, ox, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Okay, that's pretty gruesome, right? But it sounds clear though, doesn't it? Basically, go to Amalek and wipe out their entire tribe, period. I won't go into a lot of detail about the Amalekites, but they were so bad that God didn't want any part of them within the body of Israel. Not their livestock, not their women, not their children, nothing at all. No association. He wanted them wiped out. But Saul doesn't follow God's commands. So in 1 Samuel 15, Saul he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and lambs and all that was good. And he would not utterly destroy them. All <clears throat> that was despised and worthless he devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and Samuel cried to the Lord all night. So this brings us to the point where Samuel was grieving over Saul because he didn't please God. So what happens next? Basically, God tells Samuel, like we read in our passage, to stop grieving over Saul. And he has a job for him to do. Samuel was to go see Jesse because one of his son was gonna, sons was going to be the next king. So Samuel goes off to see Jesse, taking with him a sacrifice that's not to cause a fuss of him showing up. Son number one comes out and Samuel must be like, oh my, this is going to be quick because this dude is awesome. He is like any king would be. Well, God tells Samuel to chill out. It's not him. Remember, man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. So we go on. Number two. Nope. Three. Sorry. Four. Not this one. Five. Keep them coming. Six. Samuel must be getting pretty tired about now. I'm not. Let's keep going. Number seven. Nope. God rejected all seven. 
So Samuel asked Jesse, is that all your son? Jesse said, the youngest is tending sheep. Jesse sends for him while Samuel stands there waiting. When David comes in from tending sheep, he's described as ruddy and handsome. The Lord tells Samuel, Samuel, this is him, anoint him. Well, I love the story of David. I have my whole life. And when I, when I, uh, and my thought was when I volunteered, I did, <laughs> to preach, uh, this, I, would read, I would read this passage about David being called and chosen to be king. And I was, I was thinking he would be chosen instead of all the other brothers who looked by people's standards to be more deserving. He was God's chosen one. And then I would speak about us, God's chosen people, whom he called to be glorified with him, like it says in Romans 8. For, them, for those he has foreknew, he also predestined to be conforming to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he, whom he justified, he also glorified. Then I thought I would talk about God choosing David and God choosing us and God doesn't make bad choices and how we should humbly experience God's joy in our life. Well, there's one thing that I couldn't make, make work out in that logic. Now, I'm an engineer, so I like things to work out, right? They need to fit together. They need to make sense. So one thing I couldn't resolve in my thesis was God chose Saul also. God chose Saul. God chose David. So, right there in Samuel 1, let me first Samuel, paraphrasing. God tells Samuel he will send Saul to him to be anointed. The people didn't pick Saul. Samuel didn't pick Saul. God picked Saul. God picked both of these men who were flawed and sinful. God dis Saul disobeyed God, as we noted previously. And as we know from David's life, he committed adultery and conspired to commit murder. So how does all this make sense? Well, it's right to take a drink of water. Uh, what I've learned over the last nine years being here at Christ Pres is one of the ways to study the Bible is to look at it within the framework of the four-part story, right? So the Bible was one story with four parts. And then that story tells us about God, what he wants us to know about him. And those four parts are creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. God's perfect design, God's people rejecting him, God's mercy and grace, for his people and God making all things perfect again. So let's look at this, at this passage studying that four, those four ways. God's perfect design. From the beginning, God was the king of his people. He spoke with them, he called them, he commanded them, he fellowshiped with them, and he led them. Think of Israel's leaders from the early times. <clears throat> Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. None of these men referred to themselves as king. 
The people of Israel saw God as their king, and God referred to himself as king, as we see in 1 Samuel. But then the people asked Samuel for a king like other nations. And after this, we read, God tells Samuel that people had rejected their king. God was not enough for Israel. They wanted to be like other nations. This is Israel's rebellion against God. So God's people rejected him. As we see in Romans chapter 1, in regard to humanity, God will give them up to their own will if demanded. I think that's what he does here. The people demand a king like other nations. And God has Samuel anoint Saul, tall, strong, and handsome. A king like most nations would want. But although he was anointed, he did not obey. And he did not obey God's commands that Samuel gave him. And ultimately, God rejects Saul and regrets making him king, as we hear at the end of chapter 15. In chapter 16, we read, God's spirit departs from Saul. God was not enough for Saul. He wanted to be in control. God's mercy and grace for his people. So, does God leave us in our lowly state? No. God loves his people and is a God of mercy and grace who wants the best for us. So, in this story, God tells Samuel to go to Jesse and he will anoint one of his sons to be the new king. And through the parade of Jesse's sons, you can see that God is concerned with our hearts and not our outward appearance. To underline this, while the Bible calls David the youngest, there is a footnote that says that word also means the smallest as well. Remember, God is looking at the heart. And through David's life, you can see how God loves and cares for him. In chapter 17 at 1 Samuel, God gives David victory over the Philistine Goliath, as we all know. Chapter 18, God gives David a close friend in Jonathan who will be by his side through troubled times. And David has more success in battle. In chapters 19 through 22, God saves David from the hand of Saul, who's pursuing him. In 2 Samuel, following Saul's death, David is officially anointed as king of Judah. And then he unites the kingdom with Israel later on. And God makes a covenant with David that his throne would be established forever. Later on in 2 Samuel, David sins with Bathsheba and has Uriah killed. God was not enough. Even for David, the man after God's own heart, he gave in to his lust for Bathsheba and, tried and had Uriah killed. But even at that time, God pursued David, sending Nathan to him. And through an allegory, he makes David aware of his sin. And David hears the consequences of his action that will remain with his household forever. In 2 Samuel 12, thus says the Lord, Behold, I rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will make your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For what you did was in secret, but I will be doing things before all Israel and before the sun. David repents and pleads in Psalm 51, and he is surely forgiven, but the consequences of his sin remained. So that brings us to 
God, making all things perfect again. We have eternal hope because Christ is our forever king. Christ is perfect and sinless. Christ is perfect and sinless, just opposed against Adam's sinfulness. And Christ is the perfect sinless king, juxtaposed against David's sin as king. So how do we know that Christ is our king? From the Old Testament, in Isaiah 9, if I could turn the page. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Forever Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of the government and peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over all his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And from the New Testament, in John 18, Jesus speaks. Pilate entering his headquarters again and calls Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not in this, of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, and they might, <clears throat> that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made it the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And from the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And then the angel showed me a river, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. <clears throat> and his servants will worship him, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light for or, or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Unlike Israel, God was enough for Jesus. He didn't want anything more. Unlike, unlike Saul, the Son of God submitted to God the Father's control and plan. Unlike David, he did not fall when tempted. God was enough for Jesus, even as he followed God's will to the cross and laid down his life as a propitiation for our sins. In closing, what a beautiful image that is of the river of the water of life flowing from God's throne. So I asked you, and I asked myself, is Jesus enough for us today? Is Jesus enough for us at our workplace? 
Is Jesus enough for us at home? Lord, let it be so. May you be enough for us in every way. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his dying on the cross for our sins and his salvation for us. Lord, we pray today that you'll make us love you more and more each day and have us rely upon you alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen.